Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I am joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about gray morality. I'm sure that the longer listeners remember before the ones who are new. In the past, we have done two prior episodes called Anime Gray Morality, where me and Agnes have separately presented four situations in anime that we have decided is morally gray. And we wanted to hear the other girls' opinions on how they feel about it before we ourselves talked about it. So I had an episode first, and then it was Agnes. And well, Isabel is the only one who has not gone yet. So this week, it is her turn to share. Anime gray, like morally gray moments that she has seen that she would like to discuss about and hear our opinions on. Of course, that we will hear her opinions on. So, you are the star this week, Isabel. So, please take it away.、Uh, start with whichever moment or you know, character or anime you want to talk about first and just lead us through the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely do that.、Uh, thank you. So, yeah, jumping right into it,、uh, usually we talk about you know, four different scenes or four different anime really、uh, for this topic. And the first one I've chosen for today is、uh, Link Click.、Uh, that show is、uh, Chinese animation, so it's a little different、uh, from Japanese than what we might be used to, but I think it has a unique take on the time traveling aspect. Um, I think either you both haven't seen it just yet, right? So I would have to explain a little bit about it and the characters. Yeah, you'll have to explain it for me. And me as well. But yes, I think it is, it'll be pretty relatable. So all you need to know about Link Clicked is you know, one, time travel. Two,、um, we have these、uh, two guys. One is Cheng Xiaoshi, who is black haired, and he's the one who has the ability to enter photos and kind of take over the person who's taking the photos. And then his partner in crime、um, is Lu Guang, who has the ability to see what's happening in the photo and kind of see the past, the present, and the future within the, that photo and how it happens. So these two kind of work together to fulfill their client's requests. So it's, it's kind of a slice of life anime. So it's based on how they take in their client's request. Usually, usually these clients will have a regret from the past that they wish. Some examples are like, oh, I wish I told this person something, or、um, I wish we could do this, or I wish I knew something in the past.、Um, can you go and find it for me? So that's their job. It's a very unique supernatural take on time traveling. So I feel like there are definitely a lot of moments,、um, and I'll only go over probably like the first arc and how they kind of do it all together.、Um, but Cheng Xiaoshi is kind of a more emotionally driven character. So he. Goes into these photos, he basically kind of takes over the body of the person, right? So he's more emotionally driven. And sometimes、uh, Lu Guang always tells him this too. He tells him, you know, you shouldn't be changing the,、uh, the outcome. You just need to figure out what you need to do. Or rather, you know, just change the timeline a little bit,、um, but don't, you know, change. A big event that's going to happen that we know that happens because you can't change the past. Because、mm. if they do that, the, the timeline will diverge, right? And they'll be really responsible for what happens in the future and how the world turns out. And so, yeah, I just want to know what your guys' thoughts is. Would you be someone like Cheng Xiaoshi, who is mostly driven in one of the arcs?、Um, he you know, goes into a girl's body and she you know, is struggling with her you know, work life. And her name is Emma, and she you know, has trouble with her job. She's you know, made it to the big city, basically. And it's kind of a typical story where you know, she's kind of harassed by her manager. And, you know, she has a really tough life. She doesn't have, she's not able to make her own food and stuff like that. He, she wishes she went home. And you know, Cheng, Cheng Xiaoshi just、um, you know, takes all that in, and he tries to kind of text on her behalf to her mom and her dad and just. Telling them how she feels and stuff like that, and kind of telling them, you know, I wish I could see you, which is something that she thinks about, but she never actually texts to her parents. That's what happens in the real timeline. Lu Guang tells him not to do that. And、um, so that's kind of his thing on that. Like, it, 
for Cheng Shaoshi, he he says that you know it doesn't change anything. It's just expressing my feelings. That's what he's about. But for Lu Guang, that's not the same, and he wants to stick to the storyline as much as he can. So yeah, would you guys be okay with you know if, for example, if you were in Lu Guang's position, would you allow your partner to, you know, be emotionally driven or do what he wants emotionally, even if it doesn't change the future? That is a good question. This is difficult. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty <laughs>、right. good question. I I,、mm-hmm. I have to say though, Isabel, I think you like. I think you have a, a really strong preference for、um, time jump, time skipping、uh, type of series because you really like Steins Gate, right? Yeah, I did like that too. I feel like yeah, time time travel is just yeah, just evolved over time, right? So, and I feel like, <laughs> I mean, if you think about Yuseka, it's kind of time travel a little bit space travel, space travel, <laughs> dimension <laughs> yeah, travel. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're 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 slicing through dimensions and、yeah. basically、yeah. going into an alternative reality.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. But yeah, or you can just tell me like if you were, were are you? The, I feel like Agnes. You might be more like Lu Guang. You might be. Oh yeah, I'm totally Lu Guang. <laughs> I am totally Lu Guang. Only because I, you know, I have a, a history background because、uh, I was I pursued it as a minor in college, and there's a lot of things that you could change about history, but at the same time, it's just so unpredictable with new events that crop up anyway, and then you'll end up being basically chained to the past, just trying to fix everything to whatever your ideal outcome is. But what if it's not your ideal outcome? What if you're not actually pleasing other people who want a different kind of outcome? You know? Yeah, it's it's difficult. So I think if you had asked me this situation in the past, Isabel, I might have said something differently. Like you know, it's a it's this is like sort of a meme conversation where they're like, if you can time travel and kill Hitler, you know, as a baby, would you would you not sort of situation?、Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And I definitely know, like when I was younger, I would have been like, yeah, I would have, <laughs> you know, because in my head, I'm like, you know, I I get to if you do that, you get to stop something as terrible as the Holocaust. Like, why wouldn't you, you know? But then. I read Pandora Hearts, and it thoroughly scolded me on that sort of mindset because Pandora Hearts did a very good twist as well on the whole like going back to the past and changing things situation. And one of the characters in the manga actually does successfully change the past, but the outcome ends up just as depressing in a different way than the outcome that he essentially avoided. And he realized that ultimately changing something in the past just does not guarantee you get the future that you want. Exactly. And I think that sort of unpredictability is ultimately what will. Even though I obviously sympathize with the main character, I you know I help out all the time, and you know with the girl, you know she's thinking about how she misses her mom and her parents, and she doesn't have it in her to text that to them, even though she thinks it. Like I would be that friend who would be like, no, you should. You know, you should tell your parents because they can support you and they will make you happier and feel like you still have a home to return to. Like I would be the one encouraging her to do so. But I think with how Pandora Hearts did such a good job of showing how you just cannot, even if you change the past, you just cannot predict on how the future ends up being, and it's just such a coin toss on whether it is the future you imagine. I think it's too risky and to just leave it as is. But That being said, ironically, I actually have sort of a different morally gray thing that I discovered in what you were talking about because、okay. the whole thing、yeah. about how he can take over someone's body and essentially, yeah, <laughs> yeah and essentially like consent, yeah, yeah, like do actions <laughs> as their own, like he's taking away their. Autonomy is essentially what it is. Like that. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that earlier, and I was thinking like, well, uh, Cheng Shao, how do you pronounce it? Cheng what? Uh, Cheng Shaoshi. Cheng Shaoshi. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Cheng Shaoshi is already taking like Grace says, already taking somebody's um autonomy. Yeah. And if anything, like because these people are their clients, they should also be advising them like rather less invasive ways to remedy their situation because. The the obvious solution, I guess, between the two of us, me and Gracie, is like, just tell the girl to call her parents, right? Unless her, she has like a an estranged relationship with her parents, that's when it becomes very difficult. Um, but otherwise, they should be advising their clients on also invasive actions without having to resort to their usual methods, which also includes taking over her body. Did she have to like sign a contract or anything for that? <laughs> no, you see, so she is actually kind of not. 
not the client. So another oh. client wants something else, and so they go into her body. And for them, it's kind of oh, it's in the past. It's in the photograph. Oh. It already happened. Uh, we should be able to enter the photograph. It doesn't matter who it might be taking. Sometimes it is the client itself. Um, themselves who took the picture this is a whole their body yeah this mm-hmm. is a whole nother situation because if the client gives consent to it then you have consent to do it as weird as it is you know right. but in this case if that wasn't the client like now <laughs> i feel even weirder about the whole right? thing yeah so. absolutely I, I feel like lu guang is just like just just don't do it dude just just don't do it <laughs> exactly yeah i feel like it's like layered on top of each other based on their situation and whether it's okay to do it for the client. I feel like going into the anime, you just kind of accept it first of all, but now that we're talking about it, yeah, there's a lot of question marks that should be addressed. I mean, it's interesting. It definitely makes for an interesting story and definitely very morally gray because I'm guessing they are doing quite a bit of good, you know, by Mm -hmm. going into these photographs and thus taking over a person's body temporarily in the past. And I'm guessing like, a lot of the things they do is to help people and, you know, maybe the thing in the past that they did change end up being the future that they wanted it to be. And and that is great. And that is always the question, ultimately, because it's like, OK, you don't know how the future will turn out. But what if it does turn out that the way that you were hoping for, as in everything is better and people are happier and less people are hurt, like you just threw away that future? Like, is that... Should you shouldn't you all be always trying to grasp for the better ones? It's it's difficult. It's very multi layered. I personally I feel like the power is a bit of a cheat because I'm a big I'm a big stickler for like you need to grasp the future with your own hands. Either you have the agency to do it or find people who can help you with that agency to. But you shouldn't be relying on you know, like, kind of like supernatural abilities or stuff like this to elevate you further because it sounds it feels like you're trying to cop out Mm, i see what you're saying maybe i'm a bit too harsh on it because there are a lot of situations where things are very unavoidable but at the same time it's like well you have to learn from your mistakes you have to learn from traumatic events as well and if you want to strive forward for a better future you just have to work for it but what if it helps someone move on like just making a hypothetical situation this is because this is a pretty common story you know of of like kids who had an estranged like you know relationship with the parent and then the parent dies but then as they get older and they become parents they sort of regret not being able to see or talk to that estranged parent one last time and it becomes something that weighs heavily on them and there's Mm. a lot of stories where it's it's that happy ending where yes they are managed they are able to go back to the past where they go to their uh, dying parents' bedside and were able to share that last word, you know, and mm-hmm. through that was able to, the the parent dies peacefully knowing that they've, uh, you know, they fixed the relationship with their child after all. And then, of course, the child goes back to his or her time and also feels at peace because there's this part of this anger and hatred they never let go that they can actually finally let go. Like, that's a great, you know, sort of positive ending that I would say doesn't really affect the future because the person still dies no matter what Mm. and very soon. And the person in the present was able to get that closure that they didn't get. Like, what did you think? What do you think about like that situation? (laughs) In the past, I would have thought of it as very touching and being like, oh, that's so nice. But then at the same time, I feel like you can still do it in the present as well. There are still there are, because we always talk about like you can you can forgive people and that you don't have to forgive people, but you can also change your actions based on your per, your previous relationship with your parents. And even if there is a lingering regret of, oh, I couldn't say goodbye to them, you can at least make it up through your actions and do something better in your life. And I guess like I I guess for me it's because I think of it as if you have an estranged relationship with your parent and your parent has already passed on, they're somehow I guess still kind of looking after you, just kind of like watching you from afar. And when you pass that threshold of death, you or the the parent will already realize that you know they've let go a lot of the burdens, a lot of the stress, a lot of the resentment in the relationship and they are looking past beyond that. But you as the mortal should be able to understand that as you continue with life and it is your decision. Now it's your autonomy to figure out if you want to let go of that, if you want to reconcile or understand that, you know, maybe there are multiple sides of this estranged family relationship 
And you did the best that you could in that situation. So therapy from the sounds of it. <laughs> yes, basically therapy. Yeah, go to therapy, find a better support group, and learn to be happy. And if none of those work, try to find purpose in helping other people to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that makes sense as well. And Isabel, you know, we never really got to hear your opinion on like, you know, the link click situation as a whole with the yeah. body, <laughs> with changing the past, you know, so what were your thoughts on it? <laughs> It's hard to say, really. I I was torn by it too because this ha- throughout the show it happens multiple times, and the fact that Gracie, you mentioned, you know, what happens if that person dies? It doesn't really matter, does it? Right. And they tackle that as well. So, does it really matter if you said this words, these words to them? So, I think for me, if it's a tiny little thing, like you didn't say it, and hopefully it doesn't change the point, you know, the events that happen later, then I think it's fine for the purpose of the story, but. Again, like Agnes said, I can also see the point that it's it's just human nature to kind of regret things and want to redo things maybe or just do them a different way. And I believe that if, if you had that power, you kind of would toy with it or play with it. Uh, yeah, don't toy with it. Don't become God with it. That becomes a whole <laughs> new bag of worms right there. I, I'm also with you, Isabel. I, I get what Agnes is saying. Definitely it is the more realistic route to take because let's be mm. honest, none of us can travel back to the time and, you know, sort of fix these things that we might regret. But in a situation where if it is possible, I am okay with, you know, the example I gave of if a parent is going to die and at their bedside, bedside you're able to say those last few words that you regret not being able to say, like, I think that's fine because that parent is, that person is going to die. And thus, in that sense, the future will and can't really ever change because that person is still going to die. You're not literally saving their lives. But for anything else, I would say it's far, far too risky because because mm-hmm. the future is just so unpredictable. The smallest thing in and in a situation where that person very much is alive can change just so, so much. So, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree with that. Um, but yeah, that's it for Link Click. Um, can definitely move on to our second one here. I'm really curious about what you guys think about this one. It's from uh, Akatsuki no Yona. Okay. okay. I want to know what you guys think about Suwon and his decision. <sighs> Okay. To eliminate the emperor or Yona's father, literally in the first first few episodes or literally first three chapters of the manga, do you think he was right in you know basically kind of taking revenge and also kind of just believing that this emperor or you know Yona's father is too soft for the country and then and then taking over like that and in in the process of doing so because Suwon grew up with our princess Yona and Hawk kind of he kind of manipulates them or not really but what do you call it deceives them really mm-hmm. and betrays them really badly and takes over the country because you know this emperor is too soft he, he the the kingdom uh, should be able to do better is what he thinks but do you think he was right in doing that because I always think Suwon I, I really like to see things in black and white so I, I just think he's a really he he should be the antagonist throughout the series, but I think later on I think you can see the reason why that you know he did that. And some people might say, for example, I had this conversation with my sister. What did you think about Suwon? And she she straight up just said, I think he's right. I think that's what that was a good. I think that was you know something that was necessary if you want to grow a kingdom like that. But I also don't think it was right. So. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of ways that you can throw a coup d'etat without killing the actual mm-hmm. uh, king. You could dethrone them and then, you know, put them in that house That was arrest. one of my friend's uh, arguments as well to sue Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You could basically, I mean, the, the, that's what the French Revolution did. Well, until they decide, like, oh, yeah, let's actually decapitate them. But they did All of them. house arrest. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, uh, going off of that point... Uh, I think Suwon's motivations to make the kingdom a better place is justified, but at the same time, there are other means that he could have done it. However, given that it is a very like medieval type of period, we haven't really explored the possibility of like democracy and a republic yet, then he just goes out for having a full military coup of actually killing the king is the more realistic decision of that time period. Versus like in French revolutions, other revolutions, keeping prominent fingers, prominent figures under house arrest is the more likely solution because you can basically use them as a bargaining chip. 
um, and then also put them as like a puppet state, a uh, um, public figure, and things like that. And so that will help sway the people into like transitioning into a democracy or republic or another form of government. Um, so that's just my take on it. <laughs> if that makes any sense. I think it makes sense. So I am actually with your sister, Isabel. I was totally (laughs) fine with Suwon murdering the emperor. And I think I have some also historical and cultural effect here. So Akatsuki Oyona has a lot of Chinese history influences. I mean, the actual ending theme song of the second chord literally has full phrases in Chinese sentences that I, I can actually understand. So they're not hiding the Chinese historical influences in the story. And I can tell you that Chinese dynasties are turned over exactly the way that Suwon does it, which is they murder the entire imperial family because the big reason why for that is, especially for ancient China back then, which, you know, once again, this is heavily influenced by, the royal family are considered gods or part of the sort of deities up in the sky and thus untouchable. And so in a way, in order to really rule over the country anew, you have to get rid of every single member of the family or else if you don't, the other members, well, other people can use the other members to like, you know, start a war and a coup d'etat against you. And they have a good reason for it because they're going to be like, see, like one of the deity members are still alive. And obviously you would side with the heavens over a mortal human being, right? And so that's why it's very common for a Chinese, I I mean, almost all the Chinese dynasties to end with the entire imperial family wiped out because that's just the only way you can get control. So that's one, so that's one thing as to why it didn't shake me at all because I'm so used to this being part of like my heritage's history that I didn't even blink my eye on that fact. But I think another thing to take note of is we do uh, we do increasingly see in the uh, in the anime as well as the OVAs. I, I don't know if you've seen the uh, you've watched the OVAs, Isabel. Oh, I have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you do increasingly see that the emperor really wasn't a great emperor. Like he was clearly letting things backslide, and some people in his kingdom were very much suffering. And that is usually a very big sign of a bad leadership. And as we, as everyone knows, including us in the U.S., a bad leadership can lead to absolute disasters for citizens and the people because you shouldn't weigh lives against each other. But unfortunately, when you hold so much power, you really do affect hundreds and thousands and millions of people's lives and how they're going to turn up. And in a country where the emperor says all and does all is law, they have that biggest effect more than anyone else in an entire in an entire kingdom. And so it's it's actually very, very drastically um, disastrous if that leader is not a leader and is not willing to step up and do what's necessary and right for the people to help them grow and stay strong and, you know, live good lives. And so when that happens, I tend to take more of a utilitarianism a mindset, which is a type of ethical like mindset, so to speak, also discussed in philosophy. But in it's kind of like that trolley problem where if one person is tied on a track and then four other people are tied on a track and you are the one who can switch it to depend on who it runs over, the one person or the four people, I I have always said like I will switch it over to be the one person instead of just let it go over four people because and it's because it's just like there's just there's an obvious difference in regards to the number of lives. And in a kingdom situation, we are once again measuring one person versus the, or at most, you know, 10 people versus the hundreds of thousands of lives in the future. And so that's why, that's why I uh, always ultimately side with Suong because Suong is here to make that change. He is trying to usher in a new dynasty with new laws and new governments and, you know, actually focusing on growing the people and the culture and thus making people's lives better. And when, and so that's why I'm like, I entered that utilitarianism. I'm like, well, one person died versus all the hundreds of thousands of other people who will get to benefit from this new leader. Let it happen. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is 
my take on Suo, but I, I can tell you this is not my first time having this discussion about him as a character because my friend is the one who brought up the fact that, you know, you don't have to do a coup d'etat without, um, you know, killing the entire family. But we did also discover that in the West, you know, like Agnes said, in European countries, this sort of complete wipeout of families isn't as prominent, but it sure the heck is in Asian countries. <laughs> yeah, well, it's because there's a change of government. There's a change of mindset of how they execute and do things. And as a result, um, keeping the political figureheads alive is beneficial to help smooth over the transition versus in i guess like in ancient china and also other asian countries at the time dynasties was still the popular form of rulership so wiping out the families of the previous dynasty is the most common way to get things done in order to usher in a new transition for government so it really depends on how the leadership works in the countries and in the time periods in itself. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I will say I am more hesitant on that I'm not so big on is Suwon trying to kill Yona, which once again follows a historical concept because, like I said, the imperial families are usually wiped out, including children a lot of times, which that which sucks. And it is all types of morally wrong in that sense because of the fact that you know those are kids these these are kids who could not have known better and you are literally killing them just because of their heritage and their lineage and in many ways that's very cruel and not fair but that was just the way how things were done then and so that's the part that always does give me pause because it's like i get why killing yona in a sense is a necessity but at the same time like she really has no clue on what's going on and so killing her just seems really cruel so yeah <laughs> but i mean that's the that's the, that's the counterpoint to that is that because he didn't kill yona she learned about everything she's now back oh kind of back for revenge not really but um that's the that's the fear that's why you have to kill them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's <laughs> I now now I'm more in Suwon's ring, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. you're you're pretty justified for wanting to kill her because that's the rule of how it goes. You are pushed into a corner. This is how you have to do it, and eliminating all enemies and targets is the necessity. Yeah, for like your self survival as well, or you're gonna get an angry hawk after you, and literally no one can beat him. <laughs> so. Yeah, <laughs> the true menace of this series is Hawk. It's not even the four dragons anymore, dude. I like. I pretty sh didn't the four dragons even say like Hawk is more powerful than them? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. They they all admit yeah. they're like yeah, Hawk is more powerful. And they and I think I love that the most because Hawk is like quote unquote was like the most normal human out of all of them. And yeah, he is like, the most know, abnormal one. <laughs> yeah, he's the actually because like what Yona is the descendant of the Red King, right? right. So it's quote unquote she has some kind of mystical power that bonds her with the dragons, and then each of the dragons, of course, are actual descendants, so they have superpowers of their own. Hawk is just a normal human being, and yet he can beat them all. <laughs> so. Yeah, he can basically beat them all, and everyone's just like, "Jeez, dude, just chill." He's like, "Has no chill." <laughs> Um, but yeah, so Yoda's great, uh, uh, guys, but Isabel, I guess, like, are you kind of upset with me since I'm, like, the most extreme and actually Agnes is, like, more in the middle, per se, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't be upset. I feel like everyone has their own opinions, right? So. And it's a pretty good political drama, too. <laughs> we love to see a spicy show. So yeah, I guess, are you, like, never going to forgive Suwon is, like, sort of your mindset? Not that that's bad, because my friend is one of them who was like, I'm never going to forgive that character, so. <laughs> I'm kind of like that. I don't, like, hate him with, like, burning fiery passion, because Suwon looks kind of nice. I don't know. Isabel! I don't even know what to say, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding, but um, I feel like I've, if I, if I were, like, Hawk, I can I think I can kind of understand what Hawk feels like. I think that's how I feel, kind of like betrayed by the fact that he did all that and you know ended their friendship and obviously hurt Yona. So that's kind of my take on it. So that's fair. Yeah, yeah the betrayal of, of it is pretty thick mm -hmm. between the three of them since mm -hmm. they grew up as children. No, yeah, just the fact that you've known them for years, you grew up together. Like there should have been something, or if you didn't want to hurt your friends, really, you could have done it in a better way, or just kind of estranged yourself from them but he was so close up to 
so close to them up until the point that he decided to do that. So, and then, and after that, he could, you know, he interacts with them a little bit and it's, it's kind of weird and awkward. So yeah, I just feel like it could have been done in a different way or he could have done something else, but, mm -hmm. but yeah, sorry, you were going to say? Oh, I was going to say that Suwon is, oh no, 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 sorry. What I was actually going to say first was that it's interesting because as the season went by, you kind of get a sense that Yona was slowly starting to move past it because she just had, she's learning so many new things and she's transforming mm -hmm. as a person, but it's actually Hawk who is holding on to that grudge and like that anger and hatred a lot harder and longer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he does. The the panels in the manga, every single time he sees Suon, his face, like the, the way that Mangaka draws him, his face darkens and he looks like he's ready to kill versus Yona's just like, yeah, he's there, but we should just probably just leave so that we don't get you know, caught or get, see, caught, yeah. <laughs> get killed, you know? And so it's just so funny to me to see Hawk being super protective, but and also very vengeful in wanting to kill Suwon. Yeah, he almost did actually in the manga, if I recall. Oh, I have no doubt if he did because like, yeah, he's he's very angry so that was my first point my second point was i know that if i was suwon i would have definitely gone about it differently because let's be honest beginning yoda is very very easy to manipulate so there's definitely yeah. a way to go about this via manipulations without having to kill anyone and in that sense like betray your friends because you can just convince your friends to join your side instead <laughs> you know sort of thing um so that's definitely the route that i would have gone if i was suwon but in regards to him as a character, I'm like, this is where I stand for safe. So that's it. That's but then uh, but then on top of that, I don't think Suwon could have fully manipulated Yona because Yona loves her dad so dearly. I mean, you can find a way, you know. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, okay. 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 Um, I'm not going to comment on that, what you just said. But <laughs> what I am going to comment is like, even though he could manipulate her into doing it. I feel like Yona at that age would have still sided with her father and still like wanted to protect him and then would have gotten herself killed in the process. Okay, but see, this is where you get it wrong because she's already starting to get a little annoyed with her dad for not letting her be with uh be with Sumo. I know, but it's more like typical teenager things rather than understanding the bigger scope of things. Right, and that's why it's perfect. So <laughs> <laughs> that's the easiest time and way to to, like turn someone against another person you know what I i'm gonna shut up now so <laughs> yeah I yeah i was gonna say i was like listening to this conversation i was like gracie i think you're digging yourself further into all this point <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's a, that's a really fun topic, an, a, an actual topic that I've even had with friends before this podcast episode. So what else you got for us, Isabel? <laughs> of course, yeah. Thank you so much for that. Yona, yeah, I feel like you could talk about this all day, uh, but <laughs> moving on. It would become a Gracie podcast instead of an Isabel podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, the next one I want to talk about, because Attack on Titan is airing this season, I do want to talk about that one. Um, specifically, I just want to talk about the character Gabi, mm. who appears later in the season. And hope we're not spoiling too much. There's some spoilers, obviously, but uh, the analysis of Gabi on Attack on Titan really. So many people, when watching the show, hate Gabi with a passion, and I just find that really, I find it really funny because Gabi is kind of Aaron 2.0, and. The hatred that people feel towards Gabi, probably because that she's on kind of the enemy side or, right, kind of goes against our heroes here um, from the island. So the fact that she uh, is very aggressive and she's very, she's very cocky in a way, right? Um, when she believes that, you know, she has the ability to do anything and really she's dragging everyone else into it as well. She gets into these terrible situations for herself where she should actually really die, but she doesn't because either, you know, something else happens or there's a distraction or anything. Uh, I just want to know if you guys also felt that hatred towards Gabby or if you disliked her in the beginning because she acts so so brash towards the these other characters and with her idealism, or do you kind of take on the stance that which one of you know our older characters have now where, you know, this is just part of war, you know, she'll she'll learn from it or we kind of have to forgive her for what, for what she's done. I guess the big, biggest spoiler I'm going to give here is obviously Gavi gets onto the plane in the previous season 
and unfortunately shoots our um, potato girl, Sasha. Mm-hmm. And that moment was so, you know, definitely a start of a whole fight. And it's surprisingly, everyone was shocked by it and they didn't didn't know what to do with her really. But the fact that, you know, she got through it and she even went back with them is kind of crazy to me that she's able to survive through all these uh, things that happened to her. But yeah, what do you think about her as a character? Like, does do they do you think the hate towards her is justified or should people kind of give her a break sometimes because, you know, she hasn't learned anything and when she does learn later on in the series, do, do you find yourself maybe forgiving her or kind of giving her some slack? I still hate Aaron over more than Gabby. <laughs> if I have to be completely honest, I still hate Aaron over mm-hmm. Gabby. I think with Aaron is because he, he has such a narrow point of view that's different from Gabi. His narrow point of view is because he killed my mom. And that's why he justifies everything against everybody. Even though he doesn't really understand the bigger picture behind it. I would... The- uh, sorry, mm-hmm. sorry, just to interrupt. But I would caution you on that because that's quite different now in regards to... Right. I, I, will, I will say in regards to the actual final ending. Right, yeah. Um. But, at feel, but I feel like with... Gabi, I would give her, uh, going back to the conversation, I would give Gabi more of a pass because she reminds me a lot of that one movie, Jojo Rabbit, where it's children who are Mm -hmm. siding against the patriotic figure that they believe is correct and that they will charge forward with, uh, with the means of, you know, protecting our motherland, protecting our families, protecting our love for the country without really understanding the bigger scope of the picture. And there are, and there are a lot of people who have been brainwashed into that kind of thinking in all medieval ages and all modern ages as well. So I don't, think of her too harshly nor do i critique her as much and she's like what 12 maybe? yeah i think she's only 12 yeah, yeah. she's pretty yeah mm-hmm. that's my take at least i don't know how gracie feels about gabby i don't quite believe in redemption arcs per se but in the scope of the story where now she re- she comes out of that shell as a teenager she's like oh there is something much bigger than just fighting for our countries and there's more there's multiple layers beneath it so i'm in agreement with you it's so my sort of quote unquote relationship with Gabby is kind of complicated because of my family situation as well. So Gabby, when I first read about Gabby in the manga, I absolutely hated her because she annoyed me so much. And most importantly, because she was always with Falco and Falco is just such a sweet and, you know, compassionate young boy who also underwent the same brainwashing program as her, but he didn't fall for it. And he was going along with things for the sake of self-survival and survival for his family and loved ones more than anything else. And so when you put the two together, a lot of people can get very angry because they clearly see a kid who is able to, you know, see past the lies of the brainwashing program. So you're kind of like, why can't Gabby do it? You know, sort of thing. But it's difficult because I actually know a Gabby and I, I like I'm saying it with all seriousness. My parents are Chinese immigrants who grew up during the Cultural Revolution uh, under the dictatorship of Chairman Mao in China. So that was prime brainwashing children like arc within that country. And one of my mom's siblings turned into a Gabby because of that brainwashing system. And she leaned hard into the ideology and it turned her against her own family. Most importantly, my grandfather, her father, because the Cultural Revolution targeted people who are writers and they targeted intellectuals and they targeted, you know, teachers and doctors and well, my grandfather was a published writer and a teacher. So he had a big fat red mark right on his back for being like the sort of subject to hate by the Cultural Revolution. And his own child, you know, leaned into the ideology. And, you know, in that sort of like, you know, that sort of cruelty that the government did left repercussions in my entire family's dynamics to this day on my mom's side of the family. And the thing is, it's funny because with Gabby and Falco literally existed in my family, I would say my mom's more like Falco. She, even though she was only in elementary school, she never bought into it because the second the brainwashing program was trying to 
essentially say that her own father was scum. She was like, oh, no, screw this. Like, I I will act my way into this and make everyone believe I am a huge, like, ideal. Like, I, no one loves this, you know, brainwashing program more than me, but not, she didn't buy a single cent of it. So, in a way, she's very, like, Falco in that regard, and she was only an elementary school student. And then we have her sibling who leaned, actually leaned into it, and would accuse of her own father of being a traitor and scum on earth, you know, sort of thing. And to put simply, it, it tore the family apart. And it was emotionally traumatizing for literally everyone involved, including the sibling who was the Gabby. And it's just a reminder that these sort of government programs are sick and terrible because they do, like, they cause such pain to things that shouldn't have pain at all. And my personal feelings on Gabby is really heavily influenced by that because my mom is actually one of the few members in the family who did forgive that sibling. My mom still sees that sibling as her sibling. She still loves that person very much. And it's really hard for her because the rest of the family isn't willing to forgive that sibling, even though that sibling themselves heavily regret on like falling for the brainwashing program I actually got to met that person and that uh, and the person my aunt or uncle I don't want to disclose exactly but uh, because of that's fine yeah because of the situation but my relative and that relative even like said to my mom in conversation while I was just on my phone just to accompany them you know, I was so stupid to like believe those things. I was too slow and stupid. So I bought into it while you were able to immediately see past the BS of these sort of situations. And it's it's so difficult to hear so much re- uh, regret coming from my relative about that. But essentially the damage is done. And so I went a long winded way. But basically, I do think people are too hard on Gabby. And but I also don't blame them for hating her in the same way that I can't really blame the rest of my family on my mom's side for not forgiving my relative, my mom's sibling for doing what she did and turning against her own father. Like, because the hurt and the pain is there. And like, no matter what, that person did participate in very hateful crimes and and was so like having such a tight grip around that ideology that they made it their entire identity. And I think that was the other thing that annoyed people because Gabby is clearly seeing that things aren't what they're what the brainwashing program says they are when she accompanied them to Paradise Island, but she was still holding on to the last vestiges of that program's training to, you know, sort of justify what she's done and to hold on to whatever like truth she thought was the truth. And it's just all very human nature and it's very muddy and scary. But the one thing I would say for people who don't, who do like completely and utterly despise her, I would like to remind them that full blown adults can and still will fall for these sort of like, you know, propaganda and brainwashing programs. And Gabby is a 12 year old child. So if full blown adults who absolutely and utterly should know better can still fall for it it should not be a surprise that a very impressionable child will fall for it oh absolutely and to go off of that we can use a real life example too uh trump supporters the same kind of situation as well where there you have a, a essentially somebody who assumes the position of a dictator somebody that can say a lot of either false things or a lot of things that sound very charismatic to the people's ears and you have tons of adults and families that will follow trump and in turn also indoctrinate their children into a belief system that is not righteous and does not share the same views as everybody else does so that's to also prove that adults can also fall into that. Adults can also be liable to propaganda and things like that. Well, let's also talk about, um, while well, I'm, I'm here and I'm on my soapbox for a minute, uh, COVID propaganda as well, where a lot of people, um, especially people who are more conservative, potentially more right-wing, or don't believe in COVID, will believe in anything that Trump will say, that, oh, COVID's not real, you don't need to worry about it. But then after they become sick and then they realize that the propaganda is fake, they're desperate to persuade people otherwise saying it's actually real. 
Like, please take care of yourself. Don't die and wither away like I did. But the damage has already been done because there are so many adults and now children who think that it's a farce, that it's just a joke. Right. And so, like, basically, I think I, I think my entire conclusion is it is very muddy. It's very morally gray. And I understand why some people hate her in the same way that I understand why my some of my family members refused to forgive, you know, the sibling, uh, the sibling that turned against them. But at the same time, to please remember that Gabby is very much a child. And if adults who, like I said, should absolutely know better can fall for these things, it should not be a surprise that an impressionable child can. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's it's a twist on human psychology to make you fall for these things. So anybody is liable for it. Anybody with even a brain cell to understand words and to understand intentions and belief systems can fall for it. That's true. Yeah. So it's definitely a hard thing to talk about. And obviously, if you were in that position to change your mindset completely, you know, like everything. It's hard. Everything mm-hmm. It's very difficult. Know, really. Yeah. Yeah. This is why, like, you know, I read books about uh, what's that? The the George Orville or, oh, ni- or uh, 1984 book. or Animal Farm? Which one? <laughs> yes, 1984. Okay. Mm-hmm. I read 1984. It is depressing about basically, you know, the KGB, Big Brother's always watching you. And you watch as the protagonist slowly changes into somebody who is brainwashed. And it's horrifying to see him turn against his family his and his friends to just report them because they're not, you know, they're not following the law. They're not following the government that is watching them. So yeah, that's that's also my take on it. I also agree with Gracie that you can kind of give Gabby some slack because she's a 12-year-old, but also because this happens to a lot of people around the world even today. And at one point, they will eventually recognize that they had been brainwashed and that it it's a very hurtful thing on both sides of the parties. Yeah, and I do think it is uh, really important to Gabby's you know character that she did eventually come to terms with the fact that reality was different than what she was taught and I think that and she's making changes towards it and I think that's what's most important but Isabel what did you think because I know it sounded like you are more sympathetic towards her but I didn't hear exactly like whether you were <laughs> you okay Gracie and me just like shout <laughs> in the corner yeah. no yeah I'm pretty much on the same page as you guys like I I kind of hated her at first too kind of just because how she was and you know how loud she was compared to everyone else and obviously dragging falco into everything that she does um but yeah the fact that i've seen her you know grow over that and you know seeing both sides as well we've already kind of gone through this and so i kind of cut her some slack i kind of think she's actually really greatly written character to be honest because of how she learns throughout you know her journey and stuff like that so that's kind of my take on it um but yeah i definitely want to see how she's going to develop in this um, last season here that we're going to watch. So, uh, yeah, so that's that on Gabby. And the last one I want to talk about here uh, would be from My Hero Academia. I want to talk about Hero Killer Stain. And okay. I, I know you guys haven't um, seen much of My Hero, but uh, and I don't know if you heard about Stain in particular, but he's a very interesting villain i would like to say because he's kind of a villain but he supports heroes so okay yeah he he he's really a serial killer but he only kills he only kills heroes who are kind of full of themselves and oh you know i'm weak against serial killers isabel (laughs) oh dear (laughs) this is a dangerous conversation (laughs) i did not take that into consideration because i forgot probably but <laughs> and you know it's it's a good po- it's a good topic of contention contention so keep it up yeah i feel like when most of pe- most of the people who do watch my hero do find stain you know likable to a certain extent um, but the ways that he goes about doing them is kind of questionable um something similar is kind of like light from death knows kind of the same type of I- idea of justice that he has Mm, so yeah stain idolizes all might he thinks I, all might you're the best hero ever i i'm totally down for that and in the same way he sees uh deku as well he thinks deku is a good hero so he has that in his books and then the thing is you know there are some heroes who kind of just become a hero they have that power 
but they kind of abuse it, right? They don't. They kind of make money off of it, profit off of it, or they get they bully others because of it, or they bully others because they don't have powers like they do. So instead of doing their job of getting rid of the world of villains, Stain kind of takes it upon himself to kill those heroes and maybe kill villains as well that don't fit his ideals or don't. He's basically trying to build a quote unquote be better society. By kind of taking all of that in and performing all the acts himself, some of his words include saying stuff like "All Might, you're gonna be the light, and I'm gonna be the shadow. I'll kill everyone that isn't a good hero for you, so we can have more heroes." Ooh, that's like dangerous. You. Yeah. Ooh, no, 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 my boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I, I... But yeah, uh, and then the other interesting thing is when the villains notice him, uh, like Shigaraki notices Stain's work. So far, and because he's killing heroes, obviously that's what the villains want, right?、Um, he even reaches out to stay, like, "Hey, can I? You, hey, you should join us because we're building a league, and、uh, you know we're, we want to defeat the heroes." But Stain politely declines <laughs> and says,、Lama. "No, I'm not going to join the League of Villains、uh, because I'm going to do my own work." He's kind of like a one-man army by himself. That's pretty and, cool,、yeah. you know.、Mm -hmm. Morally gray stuff <laughs> aside, and maybe not too morally gray stuff aside, but <laughs> okay, continue. <laughs> no, yeah, I just,、uh, yeah, you know, giving you that background. I don't know if you need more examples, but what do you think about Stain? Would you support him, or would you kind of be, you know, on the fence with him? Like, okay, maybe you can help the heroes out by killing some villains and being on the heroes' side, or you know, is he completely wrong for? Killing heroes anyway, because he shouldn't be killing people who don't deserve to die. But you know, in his mind, these heroes aren't really helping society; they're kind of making it worse. Do you want to go first, Gracie? Sure. Okay. Um, as commendable as his motivations are, <laughs> I can't really agree <laughs> with what he's doing. <laughs> um, the simple reason is mainly like, who are you to sort of decide like what's best? You know, like which heroes are the right heroes, which heroes are the are the wrong heroes, and I know we just spent a whole segment of this episode talking about how easily humans can fall to brainwashing and stuff like that, and how at certain points you do kind of feel like there should be a vigilante because of that fact to, you know, sort of like take control because the rest of the population have turned into zombies and are following words that you know are definitely not the words you should follow, but. With that being said, though, I think there is a certain degree of arrogance to really believe that you know the best for all of society on which hero is better and which hero fits your image better. Because let's be honest, you know, people have many different definitions of heroes, and then we have actual heroes who don't even get recognized as heroes because they themselves don't see themselves as heroes; they see themselves as normal people, and so. It's it's just like that sort of you know dictatorship, I guess is the best way to put it in regards to how he decides that he knows best and which you know heroes deserves to be a hero and which ones don't. It just doesn't sit right with me because it it tells me that you have reached a point where you value your own opinions over literally everyone else's, and that's just. A very dangerous person when it comes to that. It is cool that he rejected the League of Villains, and it is cool that he is a one man's army. Like I'm sure, like that's part of his appeal. But in regards to like what he's going after and his mission, I can't say that I support it. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Yeah, that's valid.、Um, Agnes, what do you think about that? Yeah, I'm in agreement with Gracie here. And also, if you're going around killing people, you basically become a serial killer at that point. Um, and if the if the heroes did actually want to weed out incompetent heroes, they might as well create a regulation system for that.、Mm. Yeah, you know, a, a system、point. that、mm -hmm. tracks your record of how many quote unquote good deeds that you've done today or bad deeds that you've done today, and put it into critical questioning with you know a judicial system. Yeah, like an ethics committee sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's an ethics committee, but unfortunately, I don't think the. World of My Hero Academia quite has an ethics committee for that. Yeah, they may have something. I mean, obviously they have the police force and stuff, but they don't have something you know prominent like an ethics committee. Right. Versus、together. like、mm -hmm. in One Punch Man, the Society of Heroes 
it and actually has a kind of like an ethics community in a ranking system too. Yeah, that's a good point. I actually, yeah, when we when you mentioned that, I I immediately thought of One Punch Man because they have those ranks of A, B, C, and D, mm-hmm. and so each hero, you know, if you're in the D rank, you want to go up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so like for instance, like you have to cross a certain certain threshold to be considered a hero. Like what was it? Saitama was saying like, oh, I got like a C on my like I think it was like a physical exam or oh, something. No, no, he got and- an S on his physical exam because he's overpowered, but he's dumb at everything else. <laughs> <laughs> so he got a C. Okay, there you go. That that sounds about right. Okay, that's that's right. So yeah, like the fact that there are ethics and regulation systems in One Punch Man puts the heroes at a more balanced kind of working environment so that they don't abuse other people with their abilities because they very much can and be, can become worse villains than the actual villains. Yeah, and Another thing that I can, like, already hear people saying is they're like, oh, Gracie, you know, you love Bakishima Shogo. He was definitely a serial killer. <laughs> you know, like, what? <laughs> what is it about him versus this guy? And I'm like, there to me, like, I'm already forming arguments in my head, but it's like, in my head, my own defense of myself for an argument that no one has brought up yet. To me, like, the world of psychopaths, obviously, with the whole system in itself is extremely, extremely dubious and not in any shape or form good and makishima is like his serial killing aside he actually was right at the end in regards to exposing how like messed up the actual society is and so that makes a difference but in this case like unless he unless he really really is making a clear you know revelation in regards to how all these heroes are genuinely abusing the system and they're actually all a-holes but giving a superhero facade then it becomes sort of like the amazon show you know the boys or you know the heroes have become running maniacs and psychopaths and stuff like that and they just give the veneer of superheroics then that becomes a little different. But I know in My Hero Academia, that is not the case. And so that also changes things as well. Okay, your turn, Isabel. <laughs> I know I took over you, so. No, it's totally fine. Yeah, I yeah, I like Stain as a character in terms of moving the plot forward and kind of thinking about, you know, My Hero Academia society as a whole. So he's a nice addition and seeing him work together with the heroes kind of is a little off-putting. But, you know, if it works, it works. You know, at the end of the day, I, he's still a villain for killing so many, so many people that may not have deserved it. Um, there is one instance where he uh, basically cripples one of the students' um, <gasps> students' brothers. A student, yeah, oh! it's even worse. Yeah. So, but you know, in in Stain's mind, he was justified in doing that. But I think he also doesn't. The other thing is, he doesn't think about you know these heroes aren't necessarily bad, bad you know bad villains. So there are also families around them right they don't yeah. want to see their brothers or sisters being crippled and not having their mm-hmm. heroic powers anymore that's kind of sad so he doesn't really think about that he just kind of thinks about i want to fix the system and this is how it's going to do it but he doesn't really think about the effects of what he's doing to other people yeah and then the other thing that really unsettles me about stain which is why i won't end up rooting in his corner and justify him is that he's kind of doing it almost as show for like oh all might i'll be your shadow when the real question is does all might even acknowledge him? yeah so at that point it just becomes an egotistical part of him that wants to be recognized for the misdeeds that he does and that he willingly transforms himself into the lone wolf vigilante versus you have like Eraserhead who is considered a vigilante if I'm not mistaken but he doesn't take pride in knowing that you know he's the shadow of All Might but he's actually doing it for the good of the people because he knows that All Might can't shoulder the darker parts of saving people. That's that's actually that's at least my counterpart because I only watched one season of My Hero Academia, but it also means that I don't know the full scope of things. Maybe Eraserhead is actually different later on than what he was presented in season one, but that's that's at least the vibe I got. No, yeah, definitely. There's definitely more to it because we haven't met, we haven't had everything come full circle yet with the villains and everything, and mm. seeing Stan again. So that will that uh to be determined really okay mm-hmm. well looking forward to that mm-hmm. and possibly uh a continuation of isabel's uh 
morally gray situations part two because i think the majority of the series we talked here are still ongoing right yeah yeah i mean if we ever get it at koski no yoda season two (laughs) (laughs) we can only pray and wish at this point (laughs) yeah um okay well it sounds like we got through uh all your picks those were excellent picks isabel i love these conversations um you know i do so (laughs) i'm glad we were able to have them yeah Mm-hmm. So yay, Isabel! <laughs> Thank you guys too. We have a few minutes left in our recording session. So Agnes, you know, you told us that a mermaid essentially kissed you and, you know, took you underwater to hopefully help you. So what resulted from that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The, I don't feel like the kiss really helped me, but I feel like I was drowning, right? <laughs> um, I'm like swimming it in this now monastery transformed into like a well at that point because there's just so much water that floods in everywhere and i'm so confused how i'm even swimming at this point in this pool as this mermaid kind of like drags me along uh the water funnily enough as i look around me it's like kind of shimmering it's a little bit clear and amongst the 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 submerged like rubble of the monastery that we're in I can see that there's some fish and sea creatures that are like swimming past us, but I can't tell what they are exactly because we're just swimming at like basically the speed of light. And as we're swimming, I can hear the mermaid lady singing as she swims. And I wonder if she's trying to call her sisters or something like that. And if this is all just a dream, because this is very unrealistic. I'm a very pragmatic person. I don't believe in, you know, these like random occurrences of you have now a supernatural female girlfriend who's now, you know, dragging you along the depths now. Well, I'm sure a lot of people wish that though. So, (laughs) but yes, continue. Okay, sure. Okay, sure. (laughs) Uh, Eventually we stop swimming and the mermaid helps me resurface. And what it seems like is that we haven't resurfaced somewhere that is not even the monastery. Rather, as my eyes and nose come above the water, you know, I notice that I am in an area that is completely green and filled with flowers. And I'm thinking to myself, like, how is this possible from like a monastery? Is this like outside the monastery? Is this another dimension? I've been dimension warped at least twice now. So I'm a little bit confused about what's going on. But, uh, you know, you just kind of roll with it. And as I hop onto the grass, she and she helps me onto land, I can see that her tail turns back into human legs. And we sit down by the river, being covered with flowers, and I can smell the air. But I'm so exhausted from all of the swimming and trying to process everything and being really overwhelmed by a lot of the sense and sceneries that's before me. I ask her where we are, and the uh, the, mer- the mermaid-turned-lady responds that we are in the Garden of Wolves. And I'm like, wolves? Are they coming to this meadow? Are they going to attack us? Because remember, the last conversation I had with her, she was like, oh, you're so defenseless in the middle of the night. I'm like, well, so are you, right? right. So now we have wolves? Question mark? Like, you've led me to somewhere dangerous, um, that's very dubious of her. And she says, no, the wolf prince is looking for his faithful encounter. He will help you understand your fate. And I'm like, who, who is this furry? <laughs> this is furry suit. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Um, but anyway, she doesn't let me respond at all. Uh, she pushes you and says, go forth, my child. And I stumble and plop down into the grass and I attract the attention of two figures that are further ahead of me. And when I turn around to kind of retort at her, I can see the tail fins of her just disappear into the pond. She left really quickly. I have no idea why. Uh, the two figures, it turns out, is a wolf prince, so a furry looking guy in a suit, and uh, a butler, or at least somebody who looks like he's dressed in a butler, you know, a very tailored suit, black and white, uh, black and white dress coated. He greets me and he says, Madame, he has been waiting for you. And he helps me up and he guides me to the wolf prince and helps me sit down at this table that I didn't notice before. And I am really sketchy um, about this guy because strangely enough, he seems slightly handsome and clean looking for a wolf, question mark. And he has a very calming aura, which uh, calms me down, but also brings a lot of alarm bells in my head because I'm like... Why, why Why? do I feel calm? I should feel anxious. I should feel nervous. I should feel like I need to run for my life. Um, but eventually, he just kind of pulls me into a, a chit-chat. 
And it becomes a really nice break because he kind of asks me how I am. And he's like patiently listening to me as I tell him all of this stuff because I've never been able to tell all of these weird adventure things to my mom because I kind of just brush it off and hope that I can just return back to the US without being, you know, crucified at one point, right? Uh, We talk about how he knows a lot about me, about where I came from, the fact that I'm working at a sweatshop and I've seen the catacombs and that my friend's trip has been very, very eventful with a lot of very interesting uh, things that happen in it. And then he pauses and then he pushes a cup of tea towards me and says to drink. And knowing me, I like to drink tea, so I naturally take it and I'm surprisingly very thirsty too. And I drain the whole drink and it's a very refreshing one as well. I finish in one gulp, but I don't have the inclination that I want to ask for more. I feel kind of satisfied with the amount that I was given. He, the prince notices that I've been, you know, I drained my cup and I'm pretty satisfied. And he nods his butler to pour me more, even though I'm just like, I'm okay, thank you, dude. I don't need more tea. And then the prince says, well, the reason why I'm here is apparently to obtain some emerald crystallite. And I'm like, emerald crystallite? Like, what kind of stone are you talking about, dude? I'm not a... I'm not a jeweler. I'm not a miner. I I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know how to distinguish stones apart. Let's be real. (laughs) And and I after I tell him that, he seems to kind of ignore me. And instead, he takes out something from his pocket and puts it on me as a bracelet, full made of gems. And I feels and it shocks me. And at some point, my consciousness starts to zap. And then, similar to like many of the other encounters, I start to kind of see black, and I just you know go out like a light. And that's basically where I'll have to end it here because that's also another segment where I'm like, what happens afterwards? Like, I don't have time to rec- um, to reconcile my thoughts and process them as thoroughly. <laughs> well, we are also out of time. So if you hadn't stopped, I would have needed to stop you myself. So, um, oh boy. All right. So, whew, wolves and mermaids. And I think you're pretty dumb with fantasy from the sound of it. Like, I feel like you're going to stick to just good old action anime from now on. Yeah, more, more or less. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen enough princes, mermaids, weird ritual catacomb shit. Like, I, I don't want to do this. <laughs> just leave me alone. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed our discussion and the continuation of Agnes's French Adventure Disaster. And I hope you will be with us next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye.